Hello, film fans. It's just Carl and I this week because Again. everybody's sick. Well, you Our know what? Other th- Why is engaged? We should call it the Lynn Venhouse Show featuring <laughs> Carl and her. Well, I think it's a dual thing. With just the two of us this week, we're going to talk about Once We're Brothers, the band documentary coming up next. Seaberg around minute 19, Ordinary Love around minute 31, DVDs and streaming around minute 35, The Band's Visit, which is playing at the Fox around minute 39, and what's coming up around minute 51. But it's okay to be a duel with you today on Leap Day. Well, except for the fact that I have seen nothing. Well, you've seen... I saw The Band's Visit. Yeah, a Tony-winning musical. Based on a movie. Yes, so there you go. Okay. Sure. Okay, so the only but, thing is we can't tell you about Invisible Man except from what we've heard from our colleagues. And they didn't hear much. Well, well Kent gave it an A-. minus. Really? Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth Moss works well against nothing? Yeah, it's a green screen thing, but it's a, supposedly a female empowerment version of the Invisible Man. Okay. So, yeah. Uh, Okay, so let's start well, with... Well, th- there was also Emma, too, that comes out Oh, this that's week. right, which we all missed. Well... <laughs> Despite uh, a couple showing. Dan did not care for it at all. But Matt DeKinder was talking about how he thought it was... He thought it was lovely. And and the, the uh, commercials are making it seem like it is a... It's a wacky screwball comedy. I know, and it's a Jane Austen adaptation. And I saw the Gwyneth Paltrow one in 1995, which started her rise to fame, Mm -hmm. culminating with her Oscar in Shakespeare in Love. Yes. So it's been, what, is that 24 years, 25 years since the last one? But Bill Nye's in this, and Anna Taylor-Joy, who Mm -hmm. we both like a lot. And who else is in it? I don't. I don't. It's a bunch of it's a bunch of British people, and so what? Doing Jane Austen? Don't believe it. <laughs> like familiar faces, I would think. Okay, well, we didn't see it. Okay, so you're on your own till we see it. Which, All right. So what did you, know, you see? I saw Once Were Brothers, Robbie Robertson and the band, which I thoroughly enjoyed. I only gave it a B though because it's only from his perspective. Ah. There's only two surviving members of the band, which just goes to show you about 70s drug use. <laughs> Levon Helm? Uh, died in uh, 2012. Yeah, but he he and Robbie Robertson were the band. Right. And and they had a humongous falling out. Mm-hmm. That was when Le- Levon was on heroin and he accused <laughs> Robbie of hogging the royalties to the songs. Robbie wrote most of the songs, but Le- Levon was the voice of the right. band. And the drummer. Mm-hmm. Up on Cripple Creek, The Weight, The Night, Night they, drove they Drove All Dixie, Dixie down. down. That that band album, and actually the best of the band is an amazing album from start to finish. And then their work with Bob Dylan. So they don't even talk to Bob Dylan in this? Oh, yeah. No, no. They um, talk to them. Well, they don't have him as a talking head. What I'll say is the three uh, dead members, Richard Manuel, who was started the H. Yeah. And was really screwed up. He he killed himself in a hotel room after the reorganized band Sands Robbie Robertson. Right. Yeah, which is really sad. And then Rick Panko, and then um, Levon Helm. Those are the those are the deceased members. Garth Hudson is the only living uh, one besides Robbie, and he lives with his wife in Woodstock, New York. Yeah. And would not talk for this film. 
Why? Who knows? So there must be something there. They they uh, they use all these wonderful talking heads: Bruce Springsteen, mm-hmm. Eric Clapton, George Harrison in archival footage. Right. A, a, a lot of the managers and uh, people who were around then who n- knew. Well, I was fascinated by the very beginning because when I was in college, everybody liked the band. But I didn't know much about them. Now, do they consider themselves Canadians or Americans? Canadians. Okay. And they are pioneers of Americana, which back then was called Roots Rock. Mm -hmm. And nobody knew what Roots Rock is, but the band is a perfect example of it. And so they go through. They even, I thought they were still married because Dominique Robertson is very prevalent in this film. Mm -hmm. And she and Robbie had three kids together and they got a lot of home movie footage in here. And then I find out later that they're divorced. So they must be on really friendly terms because she's a big voice in this. So Robbie Robertson grows up in Toronto. His mom is a member of a Native American tribe, mm-hmm. and uh, he finds out his father's this Jewish gangster and not the man he thought <laughs> was his dad. So that's a very interesting element there. So Robbie uh, and the band members find each other. They have this tremendous chemistry. Do they talk to Ronnie Hawkins, who is still alive? Yes, and okay. he's a hoot. He is a hoot because they were backup for him because right. they were called the Hawks, right? Right. So they go into that, and uh, then Dylan has them for his backup tour in 1966, and that changed everything. But this was when Dylan was going from King of Folk to Electric. Dylan goes electric. And everybody hated it, so the band was booed. So Robbie Robertson was like, we don't understand why we're getting booed all the time. Mm -hmm. So they decided they uh, would—Dylan's manager— had a home in upstate New York around Woodstock uh, in Saugerties, New York. And they got this pink house that they all lived in, very communal. The music from Big Pink. Yes. And it talks about how it was just this burst of creativity and brotherhood Mm -hmm. and all this stuff. So uh, their Basement Tapes album grew from that Mm -hmm. and then also music from Big Pink, their debut album in 1968. Do they talk to Marty Scorsese? Well, he's one of the executive producers of the film. Really? Yes. So they do. So they do, they do talk to him. Yes. And Brian Grazer and Ron Howard are the other uh, executive producers. They do a lot about The Last Waltz, which was the 1978 Eight. documentary, but it was shot on Thanksgiving Day, 1976. They who, uh, they fed the entire crowd <laughs> a Thanksgiving dinner, mm-hmm. which I didn't even know that. They were on Saturday Night Live, and then they went and did yes, that. Yes, and so they were talking about how they thought, well, Robbie Robertson thought they were just going to take a break and regroup and then come back, but then they never came back after that. Well, and then, they did, just not without Robbie. Yeah, and it all went to hell. Like he said, it was mm-hmm. beautiful, it was a magical thing, and then it was so beautiful, it all blew But the all-stars are Van Morrison and Joni Mitchell and... Eric Clapton, Ringo Starr. And Neil Young, and of all people, Neil Diamond. Ronnie Robbie Wood. Robertson and Neil Diamond had this great friendship. Hmm. Yeah, because Robbie produced, I think, one of Neil's 
Well, Robbie was writing the songs when the rest of them were on drugs. Right. <laughs> so there's where that all goes. And he was his family guy, and he wasn't into the drugs. And they were getting worse into the drugs. And Dominique, his wife, became a a therapist on addiction because, you know, back then they didn't know much about it. So when, like, Richard Manuel's wrecking the cars and not showing up for concerts and uh-huh. stuff, they don't really get, you know, they don't really understand it. So it's all about that. Sadly, they don't have a whole lot of live footage, but what they do is very good. But they have a ton of photos, really good photo, uh, really good photographs that tell their story. And then, I, you know, Springsteen's so eloquent about mm-hmm. rock music and so you have these wonderful talking yeah, but they, heads they broke up around the time that he was his star was rising and they had stopped right and eric clapton wanted to be in the band he said he just was in awe of their brotherhood hmm. so there's a lot of interesting things and then ronnie hawkins does a lot of the backstory so when they toured with dylan in 74 i remember that song so well that i shall be released and they hmm. would end with that but robbie robertson really wrote it i thought it was a dylan song so it, that's it, how good they were. Well, it it also cleared up a lot of things for me that I didn't know because you know when I was in college that was the whole music scene in high school and it was just this burst of all this creative stuff. So it's like yeah, everybody liked the band, but I didn't know really anything about them. So this movie is a deep dive, but it is from Robbie's perspective, mm-hmm. and we don't get the other perspective. Although he's he tells his point of view, and then others tell what was going on but they kind of corroborate what he says right is he a producer on the film too no but it's based on his autobiography called testimony ah so that's the source material it's a young director daniel Rohr. don't Mm -hmm. know anything about him i think this is his first feature and i thought it was well assembled and put together well and then the music and then it makes you want to go see last waltz again so do they mention like levon helm's autobiography at all did they talk about this wheels on fire or do they just this is the story and we're sticking with this? Yeah, yeah, because they're using Robbie Robertson's autobiography as the testimony. So they say that Leon uh they do talk about a little bit about his point of view, but not to the extent where if you're a Levon Helms fan Helm, I keep saying Helms. Right. If you're a Levon Helm fan and you read his autobiography, you would have a different perspective. Okay. But Robbie did go to his hospital bed when he was dying and sit there and hold his hand and uh, said, hey, leave on and meet you on the other side. Right. Yeah. So that's a little nice touch. I don't know why Garth won't talk, but he's a, pretty much a recluse, mm-hmm. I believe. But apparently he was quite the musical genius and he stepped up their technology game. Uh, and I guess well, yeah, he was, he was a or, or, the organist, and because you think of the band, you think very orchestral stuff. But he he was a multi instrumentalist, right, right, and he was the quite one. Robbie is very articulate and mm-hmm. very charismatic, and he's always been one of those media celebs. So it makes sense that he's talking, but. Then again, you know, there's always all of these sides to other stories. Does he have only nice things to say about his former bandmates? Or does he get in a little dig here and there? He doesn't dig them. He just talks about how they didn't know much about addiction. And, uh, you know, it was causing problems because they were all, you know, if drug use, as everybody knows now, people get really paranoid. 
So when Levon was, you know, going after him about the rights and everything, the other talking heads like the managers and Ronnie Hawkins are all saying mm-hmm. it was, you know, it's all because of drug behavior. Right. So that's what they blame it on. They blame it on drug behavior, which if you're on heroin for uh, that long. But they Levon did clean up when the band, I think, went back on tour. But it was still very acrimonious. Anyway, this is a, it, this is a portrait of one of the most influential and enduring rock bands. And mm-hmm. I found it really fascinating. Well, they weren't together that. They were only together yeah. like a dozen years. I know. It wasn't that long. But they, so many people claim them as influences. Mm-hmm. George Harrison and, uh, uh, as you said, uh, Eric Clapton. Yeah. They said and, that's how they made, because of the band, that's how their 70s were influenced. Right. And uh, Robbie Robertson, as you know, mm. has this enduring relationship with Martin Scorsese, which they get into, too. And film. And he has been the music producer or or does the music for movies, The most recently, The Irishman. Right. They play I Heard You Paint Houses. Yes. So they they talk about his film work. They talk about his post now, do they have stills from that, or do they have actual scenes from the film, or do they not do that? They don't have any. They don't want to pay for that. No, no. They just they in his the soundtrack. You know, they have all the famous band band songs, songs. and then they have that. And I can't remember if they have something from Casino or whatever. But it does have a little wrap up of Scorsese. How many movies The Wait has been? <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, the weight got famous because it was on the Easy Rider soundtrack, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize. That's because you how... think of Bob Born to Be Wild, and when you think of the Easy yeah. Rider soundtrack, and so that's how they got famous. So, and they were at Woodstock, but they're not in the movie, which also was edited by Scorsese. Hmm. So, and uh, saving his best stuff for his his last waltz movie. Yeah, do Possibly. you know? Do you know they had four hundred hours of raw. Film from that concert, and it's only, and it's only like two hours long. Yeah, and Scorsese had some of the best cinematographers that we know now, Laszlo Kovacs mm-hmm. and Vilmo Zygmunt, who does all Spielberg stuff. Okay, and he, they were all filming this concert. And what was so innovative about Scorsese was he had the camera placed at different. Angles, which was not really used no, in concerts. It was usually, concert films were one shot. So Scorsese does talk a lot about the last waltz. That's where he explains everything, what was going on. Well, and if if you if you read Levon Helm or know anything about Levon Helm, he did not want to break up after the last waltz. He's like, this is this is Robbie's thing. We're we're just gonna. We weren't planning on breaking up, and so. They just did this, and we all went along with it. And he said, "What did he say? we made a triple album out of it? I think that I think the work speaks for itself." So, but that's another way to look at it, right? So, and you and I, you don't want to talk about the dead, it's not not the Grateful Dead, but the you don't. He's not going to say anything bad about his former bandmates, no, because they're no. they can't say anything, no. And it was a magical time, and music from Big Pink is one of the great albums. They were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 1994, and I cannot remember who was there. I would like to go back and see, because you know how now, like with Van Halen and stuff like that, a lot mm-hmm. of them, not everybody shows up. Well, no, Robbie Robertson was there, Rick Danko, and uh, who else was there? Hold on, I'm going to look that up. 
Um, Garth Hudson was there. Okay. So well, so there you go. So they were they were there because Richard Manuel was dead by then. Yeah. So they were there in that was 1994. So yeah. So yeah. This is uh, Robbie Robertson is now 76. Hmm. Yeah. He's had a very interesting life, but uh, he and his son Sebastian work on projects together too. So yeah, uh, Levon Hell did not attend the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know why? Because Robbie was going to be there. <laughs> yeah, well, I can imagine. But Leon's voice, like the night they drove old Dixie down, because Ray Hartman was asking me the other night, didn't somebody else famous write sing that? And I go, well, Joan Baez. Joan Baez. But it is their song. Like he couldn't believe that those were the band songs because he'd heard them mm-hmm. and wasn't thinking it was the band. But mm. that's how. And the the name they explain how they they name themselves the they were band. Just the band. Yeah. Because in, in Woodstock, when they were living in Big Pink, everybody just said, oh, they're the band, or mm-hmm. they're Dylan's band, or they're whatever. But Springsteen goes into um, about how they're the sum of, that they're not greater than the sum. Each part is not greater. Ooh, I'm surprised that Robbie left that in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> Well, somebody said, I did read another review after mine was done, because I don't like reading reviews beforehand, but they said it should have been called Robbie Robertson on the band, Mm. not Robbie Robertson and the band. Because if you're, uh, there's a lot of really bad, uh, bad, um, what do you call it, vibes, acrimonious, Mm -hmm. just, there's a lot of bad blood still there. Really? Yeah. I think among the other ones, and the dead don't talk, and, and, and he Levon Helm died with throat cancer. Yes, yeah, that's that's not good for the singer. No, 2012 though. Mm-hmm. So he lived way, you know, longer. The uh, Rick uh, uh, Danko died of a heart attack. Okay. So. Yeah, so there we go. So I would recommend it. It's at the Tivoli, but you know, I would assume that it's going to come to. A streaming service near you, Very fast. Soon. and and I bet one of the channels will show it uh, as a you know like Sundance, IFC, MTV even really? or I don't know. Do they play music anymore? They 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 play movies. Yeah, and our CNN just some. There's going to be a venue for this on TV, I imagine, and I think it. Uh, I think it will introduce. People, youngsters who are so curious about the '60s and the '70s music, mm-hmm. will it's a it's a good introduction to them. Okay, what else have we seen, Lynn? I saw Seaberg, which is an Amazon Prime film now in theaters, but it will be on Prime soon. Kristen Stewart. Yes, and if you don't know anything about the actress Jean Seaberg, I do not. Tell me more. This or is tell, fas- me, tell this me anything. Is fascinating. But I will preface this by saying the script is like an episode of Dragnet. Okay. It's no finesse. I would love to see somebody like Fincher uh, or one of those uh, thriller-type directors do something with this topic. Make another one just like Capote. Mm -hmm. Um, That movie... What was it? It was intolerable. Well, it's not intolerable. It's the one with Toby Jones okay. as Capote, which is better than the mm. Philip Seymour Hoffman Capote. A lot Capote. of people say that. Yes. So I would hope that that. So Seaberg is the title of this film about the actress who was Iowa born. Everybody thinks she's French. Hmm. 
I don't know how that got started, but I guess because of the French New Wave. She's plucked from obscurity in Iowa to star as Joan of Arc in Otto Preminger's St. Joan. Yes. She's only 17 or 18. She does not have a good experience, but then she is the face of the French New Wave because Jean-Luc Godard has her as the American girl in Paris in Breathless. Mm -hmm. And the rest is history. She becomes this fashion icon because she's got this blonde pixie cut and she wears capris and she has this great fashion sense. So she becomes one of the faces of the 60s. The movie takes place when she is filming, of all things, Paint Your Wagon. Ooh, with uh, Clint Eastwood. And Lee Marvin. So it bombs terribly and she said it's not the right time. It's a Western musical. Mm-hmm. But at this time, she becomes more active in civil rights, and she is shown flashing the black power sign, and she contributes quite a lot of money to the Black Panthers. She meets Hakeem Jamal, who's Malcolm X's cousin, and he's played by Anthony Mackie in the movie, who's all fiery and, as you expect, you know, very uh, a, a, a black leader of the time. Anthony Mackie's doing a lot of things right now. Yeah. And they he, have a f- affair, which J. Edgar Hoover what? can't wait to listen to on tape. <laughs> he is a sick man. Yes, he was. And so his FBI does this illegal surveillance, and it's called Coin tell pro Mm -hmm. and they didn't know people were doing this but they bug gene seberg they make her life a living hell and the the uh fbi agent with a conscience is jack solomon who's played by jack o'connell of unbroken okay vince vaughn is his superior of all things what yeah and vince is is uh, he playing smarmy He's 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 cruel. He is the FBI villain. Okay. So Vince Vaughn's the FBI villain, and they're all talking about how J. Edgar wants this and that, and and uh, bugs. You know, he targeted African Americans at that time. Mm -hmm. So the the bad thing is they've got two good actresses, Zazie Beetz as Anthony Mackie's wife, Mm -hmm. and Margaret Qualley as Jack Solomon's wife. But they are so stereotypical women's roles in the 60s. It's really sad because you've got two good actresses and they're playing these cardboard cutouts. Mm-hmm. And it was written, co-written by a woman. Yeah, and, and oh, and, oh, sorry, Siri. shut up. Oh, Go now ahead. that turned mine on. All right, sorry. Okay, sorry. So sorry, they, um, oh, what was I going to say about this? Okay, so. The people that wrote it, Anna Waterhouse and Joe Shrapnel, what a name. <laughs> Joe Shrapnel. I wonder if that's his real name. They wrote the movie Race, and they did a disservice oh. to Jesse Owen. Yeah. And so they do a disservice to Gene Seberg here because Kristen Stewart is so good as this actress. Mm-hmm. It's a very. It was, in, it was in Time's Best Performances list. It was. It's an accomplished performance it's a mature performance mm-hmm. there are no ticks you can't uh you can't even uh, see, you know it's People not forget the same that Kristen Stewart can act yeah before the twilight movies she was in a lot of indies which i saw and not too many people know her and my my son tim was the one who pointed her out mm-hmm. 
she's great in Clouds. And Clouds of Sils Marie, if you want, she won the French Oscar for that. After Twilight, she did a really smart thing. So did Robert Pattinson. They started picking indies, indie movies, smart. And she has really acquitted herself of the ticks of a teenage girl as Bella, mm-hmm. I think. Oh, and she stopped twirling her hair. Oh God, that drove me crazy. I think I saw the first three and missed. Both Breaking Dawns. Both Breaking Dawns were horrible, and I read all the books, and you can judge me on that, but that twi- the first Twilight movie is a great high school movie. It is. It is just so high school, and Anna Kendrick and all the friends. Anyway, um, that's all I'm going to say about that, but the Breaking Dawn, by Breaking Dawn, when they, it's so bloated, and they, they turn it into two, in movies. two movies, which were unnecessary and ridiculous. And but we'll go to her currently the clouds of Sils Maria. She won the French Oscar for that. Mm-hmm. She's a personal shopper, which I like not as I, much as you and I do. Max like. But she has also done a a number of uh, roles that you would not expect. And so is Pattinson. Yeah, and, but she also uh, did Charlie's Angels and she did Underwater and she has and, well, and, uh, Billy Lynn's long halftime walk. Oh my god. That that was so excruciatingly awful that they didn't even release it. Ugh, it was so bad. And then she was in American Ultra, which I they they built that up so much. And but she was also in oh. Still Still Alice and she she has been in some good movies besides the stuff. She and, well, commercially, and who doesn't Snow want White a and the Huntsman? Oh, uh, yeah, I know. Oh, Lord. But but she did On the Road. See, she it's like she does a big mo- one for them, one for her. Yeah. Well, you know, if you if you get that and they're waving money at you, I can see that. Uh, I like her and Jesse Eising, Eisenberg together. Yeah. And I would like to see them. Well, yeah, in Adventureland. Yeah. They were great. I love Adventureland. I know I do, too. And I would That's like to see them again. That's what made me happy to see that when they were back together for American Ultra, and then I, then I saw it. Yeah, but it's okay. I know some people. It just rises. Well, so she is great in this film. It shows the actress who committed suicide at age forty, but now it's a suspicious suicide. She oh, was. They rep- think the FBI killed her. Well, I don't Do know. Do they allude to that? Well, they don't. They just say she was uh, at the end. They they say she was found with a bottle of pills at her side, and she had been missing for ten days, and she was in her car. So, who knows what happened? But she she tries. She's so destroyed by the FBI. Uh, spreading rumors about her. Well, her her husband at the time, her second husband, said that the FBI probably killed her. Yeah. Well, he sees her go from, uh, well, he's in France and he's a book author and they have a young son together and she comes to America and then she gets all involved in civil rights and she's having this affair with the uh, Black Panther and the FBI starts spreading all these rumors. Like she so, had one of their babies. Yes. Like she's pregnant and the baby's black, but she was really pregnant by a, a by a, a Hispanic actor mm. on the set of another movie, and the baby <laughs> dies two days after being born. But during her pregnancy, she had tried to commit suicide with pills, so she blamed her. So she makes a statement. It's really sad, and then. Uh, she just starts getting really paranoid about being bugged and being uh, watched and having 
people take pictures of her and they spread those awful rumors and they did all sorts of horrible things to her pushing too hard and the um so the way she has this downward spiral Kristen Stewart's very good at showing a life unraveling and I'm sure that she and the FBI agent didn't really meet at a bar at mm. the end of the movie where he confesses to her that because she goes, don't I know you? And she he's like dramatic license. Yeah. So and then they have some sappy song playing, which is this is how bad this movie can be when it's all this cliche riddled stupid stuff. And they had this meaty subject. They had documented evidence to use and in the hands of somebody with with uh, some finesse and the way to build a suspense. This is a first-time director named Benedict Andrews. Mm-hmm. Apparently, he is a veteran of stage. Okay. I'm not sure. I'm not sure why they gave him this movie because the production people are first-rate. Rachel Morrison, who was the he, first— He works in opera. Oh. Does that make more sense? No. He also did Streetcar Named Desire, uh, and he's worked in in at the Young Vic. So yeah. yeah, but that's like the guy that directed Judy. Okay, he's a stage dude too. Yeah, but that worked for Judy. Well, on the you didn't you, you didn't think so, but I, but, say, yeah, but, but, but people that don't know the uh, source material would right. find it good. So Rachel Morrison, who was the cinematographer for Black Panther, mm-hmm. and she was the first African American woman, well, the first woman nominated at, for cinematography for Mudbound. Oh yeah, yeah. She does the cinematography here, and it's gorgeous, and it captures the 1960s Hollywood lifestyle. That's that Amazon money. And then the costume designer, Michael Wilkinson, who just did The Gentleman, Mm -hmm. fabulous outfits for Kristen Stewart. And so there's all these really good people that are connected to this movie. I do think people need to see it because it's an important subject. People need to know that this happened. To you just the... wish it was a better Yeah. Movie. <laughs> I just wish it would have been better because she is really good. And the look of the film is beautiful. So when it's on Prime, make it a point to see it. And then hopefully somebody will take up the banner. I love when they have those dueling topic movies. Right. You know, and uh, one will always be better. But, yeah, we'll see. But it's good to be reminded of what the FBI did and also good to be reminded of what a good actress she was. And she's got another movie coming out this year, Happiest Season. So we'll find out about that. Next, another movie I did not see, Ordinary Love. Well, this is a hard watch, even though it's got great performances from Leslie Manville, who Mm. was Oscar nominated for Phantom Threat. Yes, she was. I think the other girl should have been nominated for Phantom Thread, but Leslie Manville was great in Phantom Thread. Right, I agree. I agree. She plays a longtime wife, and, uh, married to Liam Neeson, who is in his in his husband non-action role, <laughs> and uh, you you forget he can act as well. I know, but you know his wife did die tragically, and. Uh, I encourage everybody to see his Inside the Actor Studio back when it was good mm. and it was on Bravo. Remember that? Yeah. So good. Now it's on Ovation, but you can get all the episodes online. Go to the Liam Neeson one, and it's fascinating about his early career, how Helen Mirren, who he was living with, mm. got him into movies. Okay. And 
uh, when James Lipton does that question about heaven. Yeah. You know, what what do you want? The people you want to see, yeah. All right, and what do uh, you think, this, what do you want St. Peter to say to you? And, and he said, uh, come in your wife's inside with a bottle of Pinot Noir. Oh. I know. He's never remarried. That's He's, okay. I, I know, but, but I think because uh, I read something one time that he wanted to concentrate on raising their children. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Liam is a supportive husband. She finds out she has breast cancer. She is um, uh, so they're long time married. It shows the devotion of a long time married couple, mm-hmm. uh, the uh, the unspoken relationship involved. And then it shows how the breast cancer changes their life. In different ways, and uh, if if you, every family's been touched by cancer, yes. So it depends on how you view cancer treatment and everything, because it's hard. Um, my son Charlie had cancer when he was twenty four. He's uh, knock on wood in remission seven years, and it's his birthday today. And it's his birthday, leap day, baby. And uh, this movie just brought back all those times of sitting in waiting rooms, of listening to doctors tell you what was going on, of just being helpless while the other person's going through treatment. So it's, you know, a mother-son thing. It's not a husband and wife, but this is the husband and wife Now, since it takes place in Europe, is it a different look at the healthcare system, or it's still a whole bunch of waiting? It's still a bunch of waiting, and it's still that, that anxiety and that... Uh, you know, They're not like trying to downplay the American medical system. They, no, it, it just happens to take place over in the UK. Yeah, and it's it's a it's a well written uh, ordinary love. It's it's I like that they they show a mature relationship. Owen McCafferty, uh, playwright, wrote this. Mm-hmm. And I think they're very good together. Oh yeah. I could see that. I could see them being good together, and so it's good like that. But if you've had a recent cancer scare, you know, like one you, in you five will not women, want to see that. yeah, one in five women, or would are, you want to see it? It just depends what you want. You want to see other people go through it, and and you, uh, uh, you're like, oh, we went through that too, or mm-hmm. oh, right, you know, and and it, so it just depends. I think your level of comfort with the topic and some people don't like to watch uh intense two real things right so it is very real but i also just like i like seeing old married couples together because <laughs> that gives you hope because <laughs> they fit like a glove all right so out on dvd currently um, I did. I DJed a middle school dance yesterday. Oh! And all, last year they only wanted to hear songs from uh, Greatest Show Showman. They wanted to hear songs from Greatest Showman, and I still wound up playing two of those. But last night they only wanted to hear songs from Frozen Two, and it wasn't. It was. They wanted to hear Into the Unknown, but not the Panic version. They wanted to hear Idina Menzel singing that, and then they wanted to sing the song. Uh, uh, some things never change right before everything in the world in their lives change. So the kids are in love with the Frozen 2, and now they can see it as many times as they want now because it's out on the DVDs. Wow. It um, is the number one money-making animated 2D film of all time. So yeah. that's that's good. Good for, good for Disney. <laughs> well, as I have said many times, 
I do enjoy the Panic at the Disco yes, uh, version, and I do like the band boy parody. Mm-hmm. Band boy, boy band. Boy band. I know what you meant. I'm. Uh, I just saw BTS on Carpool Karaoke. Yes. <laughs> oh, you gotta love boy bands, don't you? Uh, no, you don't have to. But yes, they, boy bands can be any. That's a very misnomer term. It any, is. any bands with a whole bunch of boys in it. Doesn't necessarily mean it's a boy band. I but know. BTS well, is well, totally a boy band. In the sixties, the original boy band Dino, Desi, and Billy, which was Desi Arnaz Jr. Right. And Dean Martin's son, son Dino, and Frank's son. You know, and so I, uh, uh, nobody remembers them, but they were like the the really big, you know, boy band of the day. So. Well, we've got, what are we going to coming up besides, well, people can see Knives Out now, which yes. I can see would work on the home screen. It would, because it is, it's something very CBS procedural. And I'm happy that they are going to make a second one featuring uh, Dan, uh, Daniel Craig's lovely... Foghorn Leghorn. <laughs> <laughs> he was, you know, I would be, I'm very happy for that. I'm very happy they make it. And then uh, they um, used a real house for that. I saw a little snippet of a of an interview with Ryan Johnson. That house in the movie is pretty much where they filmed it. They had they had to do a couple, you know, set ones. But they that house is such a character in the movie. Mm -hmm. So that makes me feel good that that was a cool house that they found and made it part of it. But Uh, Detective uh, Blank will be back in some sort. A form and a, Daniel Craig and Ryan Johnson said that they are going to make a second one, and I and I'm I'd be happy with that. I would I would be happy to see that. And but they also said they don't know if it's going to involve this family or if it's going to be anything. They said they already have an idea for it. They're just not telling us any of that. But it is going to be with Detective Blank, and that's about it. Oscar nominated screenplay. So also on the DVD is the uh, is the movie you let me borrow. <laughs> Last Christmas. Yes. Which they play the George Michael song a lot. A lot in different versions. Right. Because it George Michael was in, heavily involved in this. Yes, and then he died. Before he passed away. Right. And uh they have cheery homeless people, which <laughs> <laughs> if if I wouldn't have been spoiled with the uh Reveal. Reveal. I would have enjoyed it a little more, but I don't know how much more. It's basically a Hallmark movie with a much better cast and more money. I uh, yeah, that is a good uh, description of that. I was really looking forward to this movie, and I actually paid good money to see it. And then we got it. And then the woman next to me was—I had to get up and say she was like, "I got food poisoning," and that just kind of was like, "Okay." Uh, anyway. Um, when you go see the movie with the public, you just don't know what you're going to You're going to get coronavirus. You know, because I was trying to listen to the song, the big ending, mm-hmm. and she's like, you know, like. <laughs> well, so, you know what? Speaking of that, mm-hmm. let's. my wife noticed this the other night at the band's visit. How many people were coughing? Oh, at the Muni Magic, a woman behind me was coughing up such a lung at nonstop that I was like, why are you here? Mm-hmm. Well, with coronavirus, no. Right, but see, if my wife would not have said that to me, I would not have uh, noticed, noticed it. it. It just depends on your proximity to the coughers, because mm-hmm. if they're right behind you, you hear it. 
Oh yeah, there there's there is a gentleman at our movie screenings that I sit far away from because he has tuberculosis. It seems. Or oh, oh, what's that? C C P D C O. I I don't know what he has, but he he just ugh. So and uh, yeah, we can't uh, we can't sit by him. Uh, no. Should we talk about the band's visit a little bit? It was based on a movie about a two thousand seven, a real life thing. And since half of it was in English, Israel sent it to best foreign film. And since more about half of it's in English, the Academy rejected it and said no. It has to a foreign film has to be. Fifty percent, more than fifty percent in a foreign language, which is dumb. And so they they sent something else and didn't win. But then they made it to a Tony. It won eleven. Uh, it, won, oh, it was nominated for t- eleven. It won ten. Yeah, it didn't so, win scene design. So ten of the eleven is pretty spectacular, including the big six, the unofficial big six, which is best musical, best book, best score, best director, best actor, best actress. Tony Shalhoub. Yes. Who we adore is uh, the lead character, and you can see him in this. I can see him in this. I told Matt DeKinder, who was sitting in front of me, I said, just think of Tony Shalhoub. Mm -hmm. Because this touring cast, I got to meet with some of them afterwards, and delightful people, delightful. You you went to the cast party. Yeah. And uh, one of the gentlemen was in the Broadway show. Okay. And one of the actresses told me that this touring production is actually better than the Broadway show in the terms of... In the terms of how they staged it for the road. Okay. Because, you know, sometimes they chintz out right, on the road. Right, they do. And sometimes like, they... I'm curious to see when Mary Poppins is here, because on Broadway, it was a three-story set, and the set moved up and down, and I don't think they're going to pay for that for the touring production. No. No. I also... I've seen uh, Mary Poppins multiple times, not on Broadway, but at the Fox, and Bert did walk on the ceiling. So I don't know how that happened. And they did fly her. They did fly her at the Muni, though, the first time around. So we'll see. But uh, getting back to the band's visit, it is because musicals now are so spectacle driven. Mm-hmm. And uh, that drives me crazy. This is character driven. Yeah, this is character driven and it's intimate and it's unassuming. But there is an elegance to it that I found fascinating. And the music is gorgeous. Mm-hmm. That world music. Yeah. And then when the band comes out, it's stay, do not leave, because like St. Louis audiences, they oh, always got to get saw home. some people just leave. Oh, and-, and they come back after curtain call and play. The band plays that wonderful music, mm-hmm. and I have no way of saying what it is, but it's, it's just world music. Mm-hmm. It's just beautiful. But the band has some very... Uh, uh, quirky little characters it is about a podunk town in the middle of nowhere it's very come from away but this was all before come from away this one my wife said it's like oh it reminds me of that i'm like but come from away should remind you of the band's visit and it shows in just elemental you know strip it down to the basics people connections we're all pretty much the same no matter where you are this is an egyptian band who gets on the wrong bus. Because of their Arabic accents, they try to go to a city that begins with a P. But the, the in Israel, I don't think there's, there isn't a B in the Arabic language, so they send them to the wrong city. So when they're trying to say something, they get sent to the wrong city where there is nothing. Right. So they're in this town in Israel. 
And so we got Egyptians, Israelis. Oh, no. And, and this uh, is in the 90s. Yeah. So, you know, oil and uh, water. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's about them making a connection with yeah. these people. And the natives are that are living, that they have that song waiting, because mm-hmm. they are so restless. But the one guy at the payphone just cracked me up. Mm-hmm. And then he finally sings, and that's great. <laughs> and so there's just these little tiny characters, and you will enjoy them. And it, it took a while to, because I think we're so used to seeing this you know, extravaganza right. jazz, which just strip it to well, the. Well, they do story. have they do have the uh, the turntable on the screen on the on the which stage, which works very well. So the actress was telling me about the because they reworked it for the for the touring company, mm-hmm. and so it really works on in these big theaters because, as you know, at the Fox, sometimes a smaller show will just get lost. Like, did you see Bridges of Madison County? I did not. Well, that music is gorgeous, and it did win the Tony, and people make fun of that that musical. And, it, it, you know, the, the book is not the, the best, I will say that. But it got so lost on that Fox stage because it's a small, intimate, it's an intimate. musical. Mm-hmm. But the way they staged this for the tour, it, you do connect to it. And they have beautiful voices. It makes you feel like you're out in the desert. It does. And this it, it's is, this is our park. It's and, just a bench. <laughs> <laughs> and they have they they just have delightful dynamic people in it. Mhm. Yes. And, and and it's it's very well done. And I some someone will write in or comment and say, uh, you know that Come From Away came out before the band. So the, I'm talking about the original movie and the original source. The, it, I'm not talking about the timeline of the Broadway musicals. I'm talking about well, first, first the events. This took place in the '90s. Comfort Way took place in uh, September of 2001, but also the fact that this is based on the movie. In fact, on Broadway for a while, the uh, ac- the lead actor, the colonel, the the leader of the band, the guy from the movie was on Broadway for a while. After Tony Shalhoub left, he came and did that role. I did not know that. I found that out later. Wow, I d- I did not know that either. The uh. It's just it's just good to open yourself up to new uh, to new vistas, new ideas, people coming together. It's and, all about connection. And and comparing it to come from away is also a very good thing because if you left having if you saw that if you didn't think you were gonna like that movie or you didn't think you were gonna like that play, you will might have the same feel about the band's visit. Yeah, I think at first it does take because it, it takes a minute to get there. But uh, once you do, you will find it very interesting. The cast is... And it's uh, short. It's only like an hour oh, and 40 minutes. Oh, it's 90 minutes without intermission. Right. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. And, uh, but stay for the curtain call because it then they... I really thought the rest of the cast was going to come back after that, and they didn't. They just let the band go. And of the eight members of the band... Oh, no. Of the seven members of the band, five of them are actually playing instruments. On stage, I was going to find that out, so I'm glad you said that, David well, because, Yazbek. Because I, I can tell, because the the two characters that like aren't really they're more actors. They are not actually playing the the oboe player and the and Joe Joseph, uh, the, the 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 guy stud. that likes Chet Baker. Yes, 
He, I don't think he's playing either. Yeah, I don't think so. He won the Tony. The guy that right, pl- right, right pl- won, won the Tony. The yeah. they have a song called Omar Sharif. <laughs> Just FYI, for those people who remember who Omar Sharif was. <laughs> Uh, he was in Lawrence of Arabia. Yes. And uh, he was uh, from... He was like the most famous Arabic actor in the world in the 60s yeah, and 70s. Yeah, funny girl. He plays Nicky Arnstein. Yeah. And he was a gam- uh, He was a card expert. Yes, he was. I didn't... He, he, was had, the- that, he had that column. Yeah. And I'm like, is that the same Omar <laughs> Sharif? I'm like, yeah, yes, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, it's worth your while. A friend of mine tipped me off years ago before it won the Tony. He said Band's Visit's going to win. And, he goes, and it did, and it won and, 10 out it, of 11. <laughs> yeah, it did. And he said the music is unbelievable. Uh, David Yazbek wrote the music, and he wrote uh, Full Monty, which is a way better musical than people give it credit for. It is. Patrick Wilson was mm-hmm. in it on Broadway. As the head guy. And uh, it's jazzy, and it has the world music. The world music is and it has, pretty good. Oh, it is, and it has some very lush songs and some comedic elements, too. So it's really, uh, I was listening to the score yesterday to get in the mood to mm-hmm. talk about it, and it, it's worth it's worth listening to over, uh, you know, again, if you just don't get into it right away, you'll see. But it beat out. Mean Girls, SpongeBob, which I have heard is a really good music, and that's coming to uh, Peabody. Peabody for like what a weekend? St- I'm sorry, Stiefel. Yeah, the Stiefel Opera House. Well, they're also having Color Purple for one day mm-hmm. in April. I don't get this one day stuff. They've well, got they a- had American in Paris for one day. I know they have to set up the stage for a show. It's well, they used to have those week ones, and mm-hmm. that wasn't working. No. And then they... Stiefel had... Didn't they have Hedwig for like three days? Yeah. And they had... A, when they first opened, they had the play Ghost mm. from the Patrick Swayze, right. Demi Moore movie for a week. And like, nobody went. <laughs> but they did bring in Pippin with Lucy Arnaz because I got to interview her and mm-hmm. it was fabulous. And that show was my favorite show of the whole entire year. And they had that there for a week, but... Again, I think I think the the shows coming in for a week were money losers. Possibly they had bullets over Broadway. We didn't have it. They had that Stephen King musical. Oh, with John Mellencamp. That it's what dark something with ghosts and dark in the title. Okay, what is that? They had that for a weekend. I don't know. But anyway, yeah. But they're they're having SpongeBob at Stiefel and Color Purple. also, uh, I am going to see The Office, the musical parody. This so am week. I. What day are you? But on? I'm going Thursday because I can't go Wednesday because that's the Ben Affleck movie. Oh, yeah. I, 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 ev- the more I hear and see about this, I, I don't want to see it. Well, I will bite the bullet here and uh, take it. But uh, we have Onward, the Pixar movie, coming up this week. And A Quiet Place too. Next week. That's next week? Yeah, it all runs together with me. I know, but we're starting to pick up. We're starting to get good glimpses things. of good spring movies. Uh, I just want to mention, since we're talking about Broadway, mm-hmm. that they played "To Kill a Mockingbird" to the New York Public Schools in Madison Square Garden, and Ed Harris has taken over the role from Jeff Daniels. Mm-hmm. And Ed Harris is probably a good Atticus Finch. I'm sure, and uh, it was spectacular, and it just thrills me to no end. And you can go to YouTube and see scenes from it, and everybody's raving about what a great thing it was. And I just found out last night that Greg Kinnear. Mm-hmm. is taking over for Ed Harris on April 21st. Wow. 
think of that. That would be interesting. That would be. That would be. And I'm just glad. It's going to be touring, and Richard Thomas mm-hmm. from the Walt is going to play Atticus. I could. That would be good, too. Yes. I, think he... I can I can see see that happening. And then what else do we have oh, coming you wanted up? To, you wanted to mention uh, uh, Joanna Serenko getting four turn. Four chairs turning on the yes. horse. Yes. This girl just won. Okay, so the Fox Charitable Arts Foundation has this teen talent showcase every year for local kids. And the top ten finalists are uh, get to perform at the Fox. And she won first place, $8,000 scholarship and everything. And then she tried out for The Voice, and she was on last Monday. They had a viewing party at the Marcus de Pere Cinema because she's a graduate of Kirkwood High School. And she sang a jazzy version of the Beatles, All My Lovin'. And they all turned, and Nick Jonas fought for her. So she's on Nick Jonas's team. So once they get done with the blind auditions, mm-hmm. I bet the Marcus uh, pair will start doing that. Because they did that for Kennedy Holmes when she was on. But it's really nice to see somebody who's really talented. And like I said, she won right. the St. Louis Teen Talent Showcase. So, very good. She used to sing at Kirkwood United Methodist Church because one of the parishioners that I know well said, she used to sing at church. Now she's on The Voice. So, it gives you pause to do that. So, if you're staying in and not enjoying this beautiful weather this weekend, uh, Uncut Gems is now streaming. Love that movie. So underrated. Go see it. Or not go see it. Just (laughs) put it on. So, is Bombshell, Spies in Disguise. And if you want to put yourself through it, Charlie's Angels. Okay. If you want to do speaking of Kristen Stewart. Lynn, where can they find you? Timesnewspapers.com, Webster Kirkwood Times, South County Times, and West End Word. And also KTRS every Thursday with Ray Hartman in the 10 o'clock hour, usually 1030. And here, we are here every weekend, Carl. Yes. At some point. And we will be having guests in rotation when sure. they are not so busy. Yes. Uh, are my sick. Name, my name is Carl Middleman. You can find me on Instagram and Twitter at underscore Carl the Intern. And you can find me on uh, KFTK and KMOX and the Intercom family of radio stations. And sometimes I'm with Max at uh, the uh, Max on Movies podcast. And happy think. birthday to Max, happy too, birthday, yesterday. Max. And uh, say goodbye, Lynn. Goodbye, Carl.